we are reminded that your word is powerful. And so, Father, I pray that this morning that your word would go forth with the same power that it went through Nineveh, that it would go forth through our congregation. Father, many of us here, we, we love you, and we want to follow you, and we want to see more of your work in our lives. We celebrate the grace that Jonah has received. We celebrate the grace that Nineveh received, seeing that we too are recipients of grace. Would you speak to us this morning by your word, we pray. Amen. Well, just as God's word came to Jonah, and just as God's word came to the great fish, and just as God's word came to Nineveh, in the same way, God's word comes to you and I this morning. And the way that we respond to this word will have an effect on our future. Do you believe that? That when you gather each morning to hear God's word preached, that the way you respond to God's preached word impacts your future? God's word to us this morning is both a word of mercy and it's a word of judgment. And the main point of our message this morning comes from what I believe is the main point of this text. That God shows mercy to sinners by sending them a messenger with his word. Can I say that one more time? God shows mercy to sinners by sending them a messenger with his word. Now the main event in this chapter is that when God's word goes into Nineveh, they repent. And that is remarkable. But I think that we need to notice what happens first. Before God's word went to Nineveh, God's word came to Jonah. And a big part of this story is how Jonah responds and struggles to respond to God's word. You'll see in verse 1 that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. If you were to look over a page at Jonah chapter 1, you will see the first time in chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. The book begins with God's word coming to Jonah, and we are told halfway through that God's word comes to him a second time. You see, the first time, Jonah decided that he was wiser than God. He decided that God's word was not worth obeying. He decided that the words of his own heart were smarter and better than the words of God, and so he ran. He disobeyed. He ran from a, a God who is holy, from a God who is strong, from a God who, as we cannot deny, show, we see in this text, he is wrathful. He is angry towards sin. And when Jonah disobeyed, God flung a hurricane at him, and God had him eaten by a fish. <laughs> So can we just consider how marvelous these words are in chapter 3, that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time? Jonah's not dead. That's remarkable. It's remarkable that any sinner would face another day, that any sinner would have a chance to hear God's word again. Jonah was getting a second chance. We love a good second chance story, don't we? One of the greatest films of all time, and I'll fight about this, is The Hoosers, right? Anybody agree with me? The Hoosers. For those of you who have no taste in movies uh, and haven't seen it, let me just fill you in and remind you. 
It's the uh, Hoosiers is the Cinderella story of a small town high school basketball team in rural Indiana who, against all odds, wins a state championship. And there's so many wonderful storylines in the movie, but one of the main characters, one of the characters is a, is a drunk named Shooter. Now, Shooter, you may remember, was the father of one of the players on this basketball team, and he had an incredible passion for the game of basketball, and he had a great deal of knowledge about basketball. But he had allowed alcohol to ruin everything in his life, his family, his, his relationship with his son, his his economic situation, and his chance to be involved in the game of basketball. But the head coach, played by Gene Hackman, saw something in him and gave him a chance to be an assistant on this basketball team. He had to show up on time, wear a suit and tie, and stay sober. Shooter eventually agrees and does his best to stay sober, but eventually he falls off the wagon. And there's this great scene where the coach goes to visit him in the hospital, recovering from one of his wanderings, and he offers again to give him another chance. Shooter's stunned, right? How, how could he get yet another chance, right? Everyone in the community had given up on him. His son was ashamed of him. The whole community was ashamed of him. And the coach had given him a chance. He failed, and yet here he was again giving him yet another chance. There's this great line. He says, you've got to give me your word that you will not be kicked out of no games. The coach says what? Scout's honor. What's he do? Immediately gets kicked out of games so that he could uh, build some confidence in his assistant coach. And Shooter's terrified. And remember he said, you know, if they run the picket fence, we'll run the game. And Shooter is, Shooter's the hero. It's a great redemption story. We love second chance stories. But we really only love them if they have a happy ending, right? I mean, just imagine if Shooter had fallen off the wagon again and again. We don't know how second chances are going to turn out. And when it comes in our own lives, us modern Americans tend to think that we deserve second chances and third chances and fourth chances and on and on. We assume upon mercy. We expect to be shown mercy. We think that we deserve second chances. We tend to think that we deserve grace when we mess up. We want people to show it to us. And that can make us numb to the scandal of God's grace. Like the grace that God gave to Jonah. Now we may celebrate grace for minor sins, but what about grace for heinous sins? Jonah struggled with this. Grace for Nineveh, as we'll see later in chapter 4. I mean, who in the world thinks we should give terrorists a second chance, right? Oh, he didn't mean it. You see, that's because second chances are scandalous, particularly for serious crimes. And so the thing that we need to remember is that all of our sins against God, all crimes committed against God are serious. All of them. Jonah's disobedience was no small thing. It was treason, treasonous. His rebellion was against God's established rule in the world. He rejected God's word. And friends, who among us has not done that? It's treason. And yet here we see the scandal of God's grace coming to Jonah, a sinner. 
Friends, we should marvel this morning. No matter how many times you've heard this story, and no matter how many times you've heard the old, old story that we have sung of, we should marvel at the undeserved grace of God. I mean, you realize, right, that like Jonah, none of us deserves a second chance. God does not owe you another chance to betray him or to fail him. He doesn't. That's why it's called grace. It is completely undeserved. And that's the grace of God. God gives sinners a second chance. That even though the wages of sin is death, God did not destroy Jonah, and he has not yet destroyed you. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I believe that this truth is really what becomes the defining part of this story. That Jonah is not simply an empty mouthpiece that is speaking God's word, but he is an instrument with baggage, right? He has a very interesting story. He is a sinner with a story to tell. And when Jonah finally musters up the courage, or maybe he's tired of fish, when he finally musters up the courage to walk into Nineveh and to speak the, the word that God had given him, he goes forth as a living testimony of God's grace. His very life becomes an object lesson of the message that God is calling him to preach. As Jonah walks in to Nineveh, I like to imagine that perhaps he still had the stench of fish seeped into his skin. Jonah knew himself to be a sinner, a sinner who had been forgiven. Oh, praise God that God gives sinners a second chance. Magnify the Lord with me this morning that he has given you second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth chances. How many chances have you been given? What is that number? At my house, the kids are competing to see who can count the highest. Can you count high enough for how many chances God has given you? For who among us has gotten it right on the first try? But we also see that not only did God's word go to Jonah, but God's word goes to Nineveh. His word goes to Nineveh. If you look down in verses 3 and 4, Jonah goes into Nineveh, which we are told is an absolutely massive city. It's a theme that we won't have a chance to explore too much this morning, but we notice we're told it's so large that it would take three days to travel through. Three days to travel through. And as Jonah begins to preach the message, I mean, just, just a side note, if it took three days to travel through, how long do you think it would take to preach through? And yet, people turn on the first day, right? God is, God is behind this. God is always behind revival. But as Jonah begins to preach the message that God had given him, the message did not take the form of the modern-day evangelist, right? Jonah did not say what we often hear, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, did he? That's not how Jonah talked. Instead, he said, verse 4, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, I would imagine that Jonah said more than that. 
right? Because we're told that the people of Nineveh believed God. So we can imagine that he probably said more. But when it came time for the author of Jonah to summarize the word that God gave Jonah to speak, he summarized it with just this fact. He, he only included 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's a word of judgment. That is a word of fear. That is a word of hell. Death is coming. It is a terrifying word. And I must tell you that it is not, wor- it's not a word that is unique to Nineveh. Don't think for a moment that they were any worse than us. This is a word that is for all people at all times and all places. That though God is a God of second chances, and in many cases, in most cases, God is a God of dozens and hundreds of chances. But friends, you need to hear this this morning. Those chances are limited. Those chances will come to an end. Nineveh was given 40 days, which is a limited, definite, very symbolic, but definite period. One day, a Ninevite would wake up with the chance to repent. He would go to sleep. The next day, he would wake up yet again. He would have the chance to repent. And on and on. And then one day, he would wake up and time will have run out. No more chance to repent. All that would be left is the wrath of God, total destruction. My dear friends, this word of judgment also applies to us. You might say that, well, God gave them 40 days. That isn't true of us. We haven't been given just, you know, 40 days. Now, to that I would say, yes, you're right. But friend, I would say this to you this morning. If you're here today and if you're not a follower of Christ, your situation is more dire than that of Nineveh. Because you are not guaranteed tomorrow. You are not guaranteed 40 days. I mean, can you be sure that you're going to live 40 days? Can you be sure that you're going to live 40 years? The Bible says the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The point is you won't expect it. We don't know what tomorrow holds. The Bible says it is the fool who puts off repentance until tomorrow. Surely, I will have time to deal with this later. But oh dear friends, if I could plead with you this morning, if God in his providence has brought you to this place this morning to hear this weak preacher and this strong word, do you not see that today, today, he's calling you to turn from your sin and to turn from Jesus Christ, and in him you will not be destroyed God's word goes to Nineveh, and his word is this. Disaster awaits sinners. So turn. Turn and be saved. Turn and be saved. As you read this text, though, you might wonder, where is the grace in Jonah's message? Now, if you read the whole book of Jonah, we know Jonah was was a troubled troubled guy. He struggled with God's grace. But where would the, where would grace be in this message? It seems that, it seems like he didn't preach the whole story, right? Like he only told them about wrath, or he only told them about hell and nothing else. 
But I think that we could assume that judging from the response of the Ninevites, that Joseph also told them to repent and to humble themselves before God, because they did. And I think there's two other ways that we can see that Jonah's message of judgment is also to be considered a message of God's grace. Of course God showed grace to Nineveh. Of course he did. Which, by the way, he did not show to Sodom, but that's another sermon. Notice this, that God showed grace to Nineveh by warning them of judgment. He warned them. The warning itself is the mercy. The warning itself is the grace. Right? A warning is given to someone in the hope that behavior would change, that the circumstances might change. If I was to receive a notice from the power company that said something like this, Dear Mr. Moore, it has been 90 days since we received remittance for your power bill, and so your power will be shut off in 15 days. Right? Is that notice not a mercy? 15 more days, and I can fix the problem, right? It's, they could just cut off the power, but instead, the warning provides a chance to change. And the same is true for us today. Friends, if you're here this morning, you, it is no surprise that you do not like the news of God's judgment. But would you see that it is God's grace that you're here today? That you're hearing the call to turn from your sin? Because the gospel of God's grace begins with the promise of judgment. It begins with sin. What is there to be saved from if there is no sin? The gospel begins with judgment and with sin. And so we see how this paves the way for us to see how beautiful the cross is so that you could stand with people you may not know that well and sing strange words like, Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. It washes me. That's a strange thing. And the people who sing that with joy are the people who know that they deserve wrath, begins the word of judgment. But there's a second way that we see grace in this story, and that is in the person of Jonah himself. It's in the person of Jonah himself. There are two places in the New Testament where Jesus references the story of Jonah. And one of those is in Luke chapter 1, where Jesus spoke about the ministry of Jonah, saying, uh, sorry, Luke chapter 11, that this generation is an evil generation, for it seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Listen carefully. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Did you hear that phrase? As Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh. It was, it was the sign of Jonah that led the people of Nineveh to repentance. And certainly it was his message, but I think that it is safe to assume that somewhere in Jonah's message, he may have mentioned something like this. Um, you might want to listen to me, right? It's not easy to ignore this God. It's not easy to run, run away from him. Trust me, I've tried. Smell, right? Trust me, you don't want to run away from this God. Don't you think Jonah told them about how God chucked a hurricane at him, the runaway? Don't you think that, God that Jonah told them about how he was swallowed up by a fish for three days and that he was spit out at the word of God? 
Don't you think he told them that this was a man who had faced the wrath of God, who was buried in a tomb, in the tomb of a fish, and yet here he is, alive, living, breathing, standing, preaching. Jonah's life became a living sermon. And that sermon was this. Sinners can come back to life. Sinners who are dead can come back to life. God is a powerful and mighty God of wrath, and he does not sit by and let people trample upon his law. But, and don't we love that word in our faith? But God is also merciful to sinners. He hates sin, and he is merciful to sinners. I mean, just look at Jonah. Don't you think God could have picked another guy? You don't think God had more prophets on deck? Right? God chose and used Jonah. God's word went to Jonah and God's word went to Nineveh. But we also see that God's word, I guess this is thirdly, we'll do thirdly. We also see that God's word goes into the heart. It goes into the heart of these people. In verses 5 through 9, we read about how the people of Nineveh repented. And oh man, there's so much here to celebrate. That when God's word reached their ears, it went beyond their ears and into their hearts. And we know that this is not simply because they prayed a prayer or because they walked an aisle, but because we can see in their lives the fruit of repentance. We can see the fruit of their repentance. And there's a couple ways repentance is portrayed for us here that we can learn from. Because for us, whether you're not a follower of Christ and God is calling you to repent, or you are a follower of Christ where your whole life is repentance, we need to know how to repent, do we not? Well, we can learn, strangely, from the Ninevites. The first thing they did is they believed God's word. You see that there in verse 5. They believed God's word. Friends, if you are going to repent... You cannot be changed by God's word until you believe it. You cannot be changed until you accept what it says. That God is holy. That sin is serious. And that unless you turn to Jesus, judgment will await you. There's a very real sense in which you and I, whether we're a follower of Christ or not, have to come to believe that you and I are as bad as the Bible says that we are. And if you want proof of that, if you want to know how bad the Bible says you are, you need to look at a cross. A cross. Because if Jesus had to die on a cross to pay for my sin, what does that say about the seriousness of my sin? That means that I'm bad enough to die on a cross. I'm like crucifixion bad, apart from Christ. And so we have to believe God. We have to agree with what he says about our sin. The Ninevites believed God's word. A second thing you have to do in repentance is you have to be broken over your sin. The Ninevites were broken, miraculously broken over their sin, all the people, from the least to the greatest, they tore their robes, they put on sackcloths, they sat in ashes, they fasted, and they cried out to God. All of these are signs of humility. 
They're signs really of humiliation. And that's what our sin, that's what our need does to us. It puts us in a posture where we are under the cross. Repentance means that we are turning away from our sin, and that can only happen if we see it to be heinous and disgusting and ruinous. We have to come to see our sin not just for what it does in our life, but as an affront, as an offense to a holy God. The Bible calls this godly grief. Godly grief. And we as Christians are called to grow in it. 2 Corinthians 7 says, For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly grief only produces death. A third component of repentance in this text is the Ninevites turn from their sin to God. And friend, if you are to repent, you must turn from your sin to God. Verse 8, the king declared the heart of repentance by saying, let them call out mightily to God and let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that, in his, that is in his hands. Friends, as we turn away from something, we must turn to something. You think about the disciples, Jesus called them to follow him. They had to turn away from their nets and follow Christ. You cannot turn away from sin without following Christ, and you cannot follow Christ without turning away from sin. Repentance and faith, I, I believe, are two sides of the same coin. And as the people of Nineveh turned away from their evil and violence, they, we see, called out to God. They called out for mercy. Verse 9, we hear the desperation in the voice of a sinner. Look at verse 9. Do you hear the longing? Who knows? God might, God may turn and relent. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Friends, there are things about God that we know that this king did not know. And that is a great blessing to us. The God of fierce wrath is also a God of great compassion and pity. And when he hears sinners cry for help, he always answers. He always answers. And that is true of you whether you've never called on the name of the Lord or whether you have fallen dozens of times in your walk with him. God always hears the cry of humble sinners. And when God saw the genuine repentance of Nineveh, he abandoned his plans for disaster and destruction. Verse 10 is so beautiful. Look down and feast on this again with me. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Friends, that is the story of my life. <laughs> he did not do it. My translation, like perhaps many of yours, uses the word relent. If you have an older translation, you may see that the word repent is used, that God repented. And that can be confusing, right? Because 
we usually associate repentance from turning away from sin, and obviously God doesn't have plans to sin, so he doesn't repent from, from that. But I think you need to notice this beautiful pattern here. Remember, repentance is turning. So think about it. When sinners repent of sin and turn to God, God repents of judgment and returns to sinners. When sinners repent of sin and turn to God, God repents of judgment and turns to sinners. This is the central point of this book for us. That Nineveh's repentance was grounded in their response to God's messenger. To God's messenger. They believed God's messenger. They received God's word as true from God's messenger. And because of that, they were spared. And friends, the same thing is true for us. But the difference for us and Nineveh is that God has revealed so much more of himself for us. He has revealed so much more of his grace and his pity and his humility towards us. Nineveh got Jonah, the stinky runaway prophet, and we get Jesus, the very word of God. Back in Luke 11, Jesus said, The men of Nineveh, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with the generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. But behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is the greater Jonah. Amen, 8.30? Jesus is the greater Jonah. Like Jonah... Jesus came preaching the message of disaster because of sin and repentance for safety. Like Jonah, Jesus had been sent with a word from God. Like Jonah, Jesus emerged from the tomb after three days and three nights proving that this God, if you are united to this man and if you know this God, those who are sinners, those who are under the wrath of God can die as they should and yet emerge from the tomb. Jesus did what Jonah did in small part by coming out of the tomb proving sinners can live again. To know this life, to know this hope, to know this death-proof living, you must believe in God's word. You must be broken by your sin. This is not some insurance transaction. You must be broken by your sin, and you must turn from it to Christ in faith. Friend, if you are here today, and if you are exploring the Christian faith, Perhaps a neighbor invited you or a coworker invited you. We're so glad that you're here. This is a wonderful place to hear about the Christian faith. And it's, this message, it, it is for you. And I hope that you can hear it. But this message is also for each one of us who follows Jesus Christ. This word is for us as well. We've seen that Jonah was a sinner rescued and called by God to preach his word. He was a rescued sinner sent out to rescue sinners. Jonah was a rescued sinner sent out to rescue sinners. And you know what? For Jonah, his very life, 
His very story, his testimony was a testimony of God's grace. Friends, God is calling you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he is calling us to do the same thing, to become living, breathing, walking, talking testimony of God's grace. You cannot imagine how bad I was, but God has saved me. He can do it for you. You cannot imagine how deep I was in sin and how close I was to death, but God has saved me and he can do it for you. And you don't just walk and let people look at your life. You have to speak. Jonah did both. He walked into the heart of Nineveh and he opened his mouth. And look what happened. Hundreds of thousands of wicked people got saved. For that, God gets all the credit. We can take the gospel into the darkened, most hardest parts of our culture. And we can open our mouths and speak words that match our lives and show the world. God is able to bring sinners back to life. If you want proof, just look at my life. God's word to you, Christian, this morning is to go and speak this message of grace. I'd like to invite you to move into a time of invitation and pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you for the ways that you show grace to us. Forgive us for so often presuming upon your grace, for thinking that we deserve more chances. Forgive us for the many times that we have neglected your word, for the many times we have trivialized the seriousness of our sin. And oh God, forgive us for the many times that we have refused to speak the truth of your grace to our enemies. We pray, Father, that you would work in our hearts, help us to celebrate this remarkable freedom that we have found in Christ in a new way this morning. We ask this in your name, amen. As you stand, the altar will be open and you can come and